Thank you all very much. Well, if you stick with me for t- today and one more Sunday, we are going to get through the first half of 1 Samuel. <laughs> and uh, then we'll take a break and uh, move on to a few other things, and we'll come back to 1 Samuel a little bit later. Uh, I'm going to jump right in this morning, though, so if you haven't been with us, just kind of kind of bear with me. I'm going to jump right into where we've been. Uh, as we look at 1 Samuel 16 is your text, if you want to turn there. We're going to look at God's decision. Ultimately, if you're familiar with with the story, you're familiar with 1 Samuel. God's decision to choose David, to choose to use David over Saul. And and if you know the story, everything's kind of been building to this point. And we knew this was coming. Uh, The text we read last week uh, ended with this note saying that the Lord regretted that he, had made, that he had made Saul king. And we noted that, that the word regret, there's a powerful word. It, it literally can also mean repent. So that God was really, uh, he turned from the, the idea that he made him king. And, and, and all that that was going to be if he was king, he turned from that. God regretted that. And then prior to Samuel, it also notes in 1 Samuel 15, 23... That uh, God's actually rejected him as king. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul's told by Samuel that due to his disobedience, his kingdom will not endure. And it brings up some issues for us as we consider this morning the kind of person that God uses. Because ultimately God moved from, from wanting, from choosing to use Saul, from choosing to use David. And we're going to talk about the kind of person that, that God uses from that. And it brings up some issues for us because... I mean, if you're like me, you just think, well, okay, it happened this way, but what if it would have happened this way? Uh, and and I, won't, I won't spend too much time on, on this part, but uh, you imagine if, if you know, God regretted that he had made Saul. If that's a true statement, you also look at some of the Old Testament prophecies that talk about the Messiah coming from David's line. And it makes me, makes me wonder from, from the very beginning if that was the way it was going to happen, and that's the way it was foretold it was supposed to happen. Why did God pick Saul to begin with? Why did we have Saul as a king? If it was ultimately going to be David that was the guy that God was going to use and ultimately be the line that Jesus was going to come from, why did Saul even become the king? Why did God allow that to happen? And why did God regret that? You know, some scholars will say, well, God really didn't regret it. They'll say the Bible uses that word because it is appropriating God's decision to the kind of decision you and I might make when we experience that. And ironically, the scholars that say that are some of the people that claim to read the Bible the most literally. And they're saying, well, the Bible says that, but it doesn't say that. God didn't really regret that. Because God can't regret things in the way that people do. Even though the Bible says that's what happened. And I don't, I'm not going to spend all morning you know, pontificating on these finer points. But what I want to do is to point you back... To a sermon that, that I preached much earlier in this series, in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And it tells us when, when God is, is sending Samuel to anoint Saul, Saul, or Samuel tells Saul that I'm going to tell you everything that is in your heart. I don't know if you remember reading that or not. And he does. He proceeds to tell him everything that's in his heart and what he's saying. That's, that's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 19 and 20. And, and I think it's interesting. The Bible doesn't, you know, give us one way or another. But, 
But it never says in any of that that God looked at Saul and he found him unfit to be the king. Or God looked at Saul's heart and he saw evil there. And I'm of the opinion it was because it was not yet there. That, that at that moment, Saul would have made a decent king. And the point for me is not whether or not, okay, God knew this was going to happen. Or, I mean, the point's not figuring all that and worry about that to me. As much as it is that God was ready to use Saul when Saul was ready to be used. That's, that's the point for me. And this, along with God's eventual choice over David's line, it begs the question, well, what is it that God considers? When he looks at someone and chooses to use them, what is God considering? That's the important part to think about, I think. Because we know from our own lives that God uses people that have a lot of flaws, doesn't he? I mean, if you think about your own life, and I'm going to ask for a show of hands, and I'm not going to ask who or any details, but, but how many of you have had a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or just a spiritual mentor that you looked up to uh, that, that has experienced some kind of public moral failing? Just, just, just be honest about it. I'm not going to say, who was it? You know, just keep them up. Keep them up. If, if you've known a spiritual mentor... Or a pastor, or someone that, that's a good number of people. Okay, you put it down. That's a lot, isn't it? And so God uses people with flaws. God uses people that, that are messed up. And with as many hands that, that have gone up, I know that there's got to be more than just me. Well, what is it, what does God consider if he's going to use people and then that's going to happen? Growing up, I had a youth minister who just had amazing integrity, amazing character, and he still does today. And honestly, as, as, a, as a teenager, someone that came to faith at 15, you know, I was a little skeptical about church and what all was involved in it. But I looked at this guy who, quite honestly, didn't have the most dynamic personality. Quite honestly, I wasn't enthralled by the way that he spoke. But someone that I could just tell was living a real and genuine life. And gosh, that drew me to him. And as far as I know, he's, he's still, I know that he's still in ministry and, and he's, that character is held up. And that's just been a powerful sort of uh, example and testimony to me. And then I had another mentor when I was in, in seminary. This was a pastor. This was a very successful pastor at, at a large church. And I would, uh, he agreed to meet with me weekly. And he would talk to me about his views regarding, you know, church Leadership and church growth and, and preaching and, and all the things I wanted to learn about that would help make me maybe be a decent pastor one day. And, and I really enjoyed our visits and our talks and the things that we got to talk about. And I even made notes. I guess a couple years after I came to Eastwood, I discovered, like all of you had, that that mentor had been involved in a moral failing. And and maybe was involved in that in the midst of our time of, of mentoring. And so it just causes you, causes you to wonder. I mean, not, not to second guess that that person wasn't genuine, but, but it does make you guess, like, well, was that real? Did God really use that person in my life? Was God using that person? Or, you know, did I just kind of like him? Makes you ask all those questions. And I think 1 Samuel 16, as it talks about Choosing David over Saul sheds some light on what God considers when he uses people. Look at 1 Samuel 16 with me. I'm going to read, read 23 verses. 1 through 23. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? 
since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears about it? He will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are, a, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord, stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons passed pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the liar. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who was with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. And so all this surrounds God's choice to use David rather than Saul as king. But that doesn't mean that God quits using Saul in his plan or that he only uses David. Rather, I think our text demonstrates that God uses people according to some things. And one of those things is his plans. God uses us according to what he has Plan to do. And, and you've heard that probably all your life. And so, I mean, that makes sense if you've been in church. And it's tricky to pontificate on about, well, why did God, God allow Saul to become king if, if, you know, he was planning this and David ended up being the king? Uh, and so I'm not going to dwell too much on that. But I think what's important is that our text says at this moment, God had planned to use David. That, that's what his plan was. And, 
So he tells Samuel to go and to, to anoint him. And can you imagine Samuel had already done this once? He anointed Saul's king and, and it didn't turn out well. And, and here's Samuel and, and he's sort of getting to the end of his time and his ministry and probably wanting to be finished. And he says, gosh, again? Really? You want me to go do this again? I mean, I remember how it worked out last time. But he tells him, and the words are very similar to what God says to Moses. He says, go and I will show you what to do. He tells Moses when he's telling him to go to Pharaoh, go and I will teach you what to say. And it's, it's the same idea, go and I, just as you go, I'll, I'll teach you. And I think the problem sometimes we have with appropriating the idea that God uses us according to his plans is because we think that what that means is that God uses us according to his plans to make our life exactly like we want it. And when we hear that, that's what we think. Well, God has a plan. And I hear people, as they go through difficult times sometimes, will say something like, well, God has a plan. You know, we heard people say that. And indeed, he, he does. But, but I don't know if that means that God has a plan for this specific thing that you're dealing with to result in this other thing that you're hoping that it, that it might. And we have a hard time connecting that. See, there's a difference in the role that people play in God's plan compared to you know, the characters in books or movies where everything kind of surrounds them. One of, one of uh, well, both my kids' really favorite, favorite Disney movies, uh, Disney cartoons, is, is Cinderella. We haven't watched it in a long time, but it's received lots of, of playtime in our house. And, and Emily has the Cinderella dresses and uh, Cinderella books and toys and, and you know, all these things. And I, you never think about what it is about that story that gives it such... Replay value. It makes people want to watch it again. I think it has something to do with all these bad things that Cinderella faces from, from the evil stepsisters to her stepmother to just, you know, being kind of mistreated and having to do all the hard work. All that in the story kind of works somehow and builds up in the fairy godmother and even, even how the fairy godmother uses the mice and all that. All that works together to lead to that magical moment where she meets the prince and she dances with the prince and she falls in love and it's really sweet, isn't it? And it all works together to lead to that moment. And then even after that, when we think, oh, it's not going to work out because the spell's about to wear off, you know, and, and then the, the messenger from the prince goes to the house and ends up, ends up finding her against all odds. And it just works. It all works out. And there's this nice, happy ending. And I don't mean to, to ruin your view of Cinderella, but have you ever thought about the fact that all that stuff didn't have to happen in order for her to meet Prince Charming? I mean, it really didn't happen. It, the, the fairy godmother, I mean, gosh, why didn't you show up earlier? Why'd you let me go through all that horrible stuff and cleaning and being abused by the stepsisters? I mean, the reason she, she wasn't going to get to go see the prince in the first place is because the sisters ripped up the dress. You see, I've, I've watched this a few times. Why didn't she just rescue her from that horrible place to begin with? She could have gone to meet the prince and had a happily ever after a lot, a lot quicker, a lot sooner. But then it's not near as dramatic. It's not near as focused on this idea that everything works to bring her to that moment. And I think the thing that we have to remember when it comes to God using us according to his plan is we're not the main character in some fairy tale. I mean, those are nice to, to read and, and hear about, but it's not real life. He is the main character. And we are the supporting roles. And so when it comes to him using us, he uses according to his plan. But, but he uses according to how our hearts are open to him in his plan. Maybe for good or maybe for something else. He uses us according to our hearts. Dallas Willard wrote about a two and a half year old girl. She's in her backyard one day and she discovered the secret of, of making mud. 
And, and you know, kids love to make mud. And she called this mud as she's making it warm chocolate. Well, her, her grandmother is sitting out watching her. And, and she's kind of reading her book and looking. And as she noticed that she's, she's playing in the mud, she says, no, don't, don't pour water in the dirt and make mud. That's, that's, that's dirty. And so she says, okay, grandmother. She goes back to reading her book. And, and the two-year-old, her name is Larissa, looks at her grandmother. And when she's not looking, she goes. She goes and just gets a little bit of water from, from the pitcher from the water hose and pours in the mud. And she looks over to grandmother. And three times she says, as her grandmother's reading her book, she says, grandmother, don't, don't look at me, okay? And, of course, the grandmother's kind of codependent, you know, so she says, okay. And, and Dallas Willard writes, she says, he, he says that the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is that we be unobserved in our sin. And Adam and Eve sinned. The first thing they did was what? They went hid. They needed that separation from God. They didn't want God to see that. And it's that hiding that hinders a sinful heart from being used by God in his plan. And I think even Samuel, you know, obedient and pivotal as, as he is Israel in this moment, kind of took him a while to figure out the, the role that the heart plays in, in God, use, God using somebody. Brandon asked me this week, why is, why, why is the book called Samuel, but it's really about Saul and David, right? And it's because Samuel is this pivotal figure in the history of Israel that's sort of like a bridge that goes from the time of the judges when there was no king, there was no monarchy, to the time of when there was. And, and the reason that there could be, the reason that Saul and David and, and the next few kings exist is because, well, Samuel did what God told him to do. He did what he was supposed to do. And so it all kind of hinges on him as this pivotal figure. But as he seeks to go about this, a task, this task and to be obedient, we're struck in verse 6 when, when the first person he sees to, to anoint of, of, of Jesse's sons, the first one he sees, Eliab, he goes, well, this must be the one. Let's get it done and let's go. And, you know, I can relate to that again because here's Samuel. He's, he's already done this once. He's really supposed to be retired. He's supposed to be finished. Maybe he's hoping this first guy's going to be the one. He's the first son. He's the oldest. Just makes sense, God. Let's do it. Let's get the show on the road. Then we read in verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many times have we sang the celebration of praise? We didn't do it today. How many times have we sang, Open the eyes of my heart? I remember singing that for the very first time and thinking, thinking that I was asking God for some kind of deeper emotional revelation of who he was. That's because when we say the word heart, we think of it as being connected to our emotions, don't we? Open the eyes of my heart. We want, I want to feel you, God. You know, we think that's what we're saying. But in Bible times, when, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the part of the person that controls everything else about that person. It's that part of the person that God can shape and God can mold and, and really affects who we are as a person. And so when we say open the eyes of my heart, it's saying, God, let me, let me be open to you with all that I am. And, and you shape my character. You mold me. You shape my heart. That's what we're saying. And so when we think about, you know, just like the little two-year-old that liked to make warm chocolate, sometimes our heart's not in the right place to be used by God for, for something good. But the good news is we can give it to Him. We can open ourselves to Him. We can, and sometimes we take it back, though, don't we? And we can allow Him to shape us and mold us and to be used 
by him. And the reason we can do that is because we know, especially in the New Testament, is God has given, has made available his very own spirit. God uses us according to our heart to the degree that it's open to him, to, to the Holy Spirit, as we know him in the New Testament time. One of Emily's favorite songs about the Spirit is called The Fruit of the Spirit. And it's this, this fun little kid song, and it emphatically says, The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. So if you want to be a coconut, you've got to do that every time, too. You might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I recited it because you don't want to hear me sing it, but... But I've heard that song a few times, and it's taught me the fruits of the Spirit. And, and I like that song because, uh, really, it's straight out of Scripture. It's straight out of the book of Galatians when Paul says you need to walk according to the Spirit. And here's how you know if you're walking according to it. And he lists all the fruits of the Spirit. That's how you know. And it's important for what we're talking about because it emphasizes the point that the Holy Spirit uses anyone for. God doesn't use us because... Uh, he's going to lead us necessarily to this great fortune or, or because he has this specific big thing in, in mind for us. He uses us so that we can bear fruit. And the fruit is all of those things. Maybe it's an understatement to speak of Saul being surprised uh, when, when, you know, not only Eliab the first, the second, the third, the fourth, all the way up to the seventh son. I mean, he was surprised. That's an understatement to say that he was surprised when all those sons aren't the one God has chosen. There's seven. I probably don't have to tell you what, what seven means in, in Hebrew thought. It's the idea that, that that's all of them. That's it. It's complete. And so he asks, well, is there anybody else? <laughs> There's got to be someone else, right? And, and really, this, this is where the Cinderella story gets this, this hook from, you know, where it's, all, it's the lowliest one that's been working. And, well, there's one more, and he's out in the fields, and he's a shepherd, and he's nasty, and he's stinky. But if that's who you want us to get, I guess we'll go get him. And, and so they did. Only in this story, the point is not David getting to live happily ever after, but it's being used by God to do something that no one else would have thought of or imagined. Verse 13 says, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon David. You know, there weren't many eighth-born eighth shepherd boys that would, have, that would have said, you know, I think God's calling me to be king. That just wasn't a thing. That was not something that would have been realistic or logical. Especially the example that, that Saul is given as king. It's not really a position that probably a lot of people sought after. When we think of king, we think of, you know, British royalty that... They don't really do a whole lot, and they make TV shows about them, and we wish, you know, that we could be fancy and elegant like that, even though we broke away from them. There's some irony there, huh? But that's not the way the king was thought of in Israel. This was a guy that had this, this huge responsibility that he'd been given. It's not something people would have been excited about. But this is what God leads David to do. And I think maybe one way to test whether God is leading us to do something is also to check, check the way that we feel about it. I mean, it's, it's our own nature to seek the things for our own good, isn't it? And we don't necessarily have, need to have God's leading to do the things that, that we just want to do, that help us and encourage us. But if we can think, well, I mean, this is a challenge. Uh, this, this thing here is, is, I could see the good in it, but gosh, I'm kind of scared too. Maybe that's a tip. Maybe that's a tip off that God is 
leading towards this because it's not something that naturally we just want to do on our own apart from God. God cares about spiritual fruit, things that lead to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But not everyone's inclined to that, right? Not everyone's inclined to, to be of the Spirit, to produce spiritual fruit. And so lastly, the thing that I want you to know is that God uses us regardless, whether we're, we're walking by the Spirit or not, according to our own inclinations. Maybe you remember in 2011, there was a Super Bowl ad. It was a Volkswagen commercial. And there was this little boy had a Darth Vader helmet on. You remember that commercial? And he was running around the house. And he's pretending to, to have the force, and he, he points, the first thing he points at was a dryer, remember? And he's just running around, he points at it, nothing happens. And he's got, he's got a cape, Darth Vader hat, and he runs through the house, he runs to the next room, and, and he points at the dog. And the dog just kind of looks at him, you know, like, what? Nothing happens. Runs to the next room, runs to the kitchen, finally. And, and he points at, a, points at a doll. He points at a doll in a bedroom before he runs in the kitchen. Nothing happens. Then he runs in the kitchen. And right about that time, his dad's getting home. And his dad walks inside, and, and he hugs his dad, and he's glad to see his dad. And, and you kind of think that the moment's over, and he's finished being Darth Vader. But then you see him kind of stop and think, and he looks out the window, and he points at the car. And this was one of those commercials for push-button ignitions. You know, they had just started coming out. And right as he does that, of course, his dad uses the push-button ignition, and the car starts, and he like. Takes a few feet back, he can't take a few, a few steps back, he can't believe he actually did it. He used the force, and I don't remember what the point of the commercial was other than Volkswagen, right? Have you ever thought about the implication? I mean, it's a cute commercial, but it's this little boy dressed as Darth Vader, and he's learning to use the force. I mean, it, it, if, we, if we didn't know that Star Wars was fiction, that'd be kind of concerning, wouldn't it? There's this little boy, part of the dark side, if you're a Star Wars fan, learning to use the force. Well, here's the good news about the Holy Spirit is it's nothing like the force. The force is something in the Star Wars mythology that can, that can be controlled and mastered, right? You can use this mystical thing, but, but anybody can. Good or bad, it doesn't matter their disposition or their inclinations. The Holy Spirit is something that is used by God. And so people can be motivated by it and empowered by it, but it's never submissive to our own inclinations. And we see this acted out in the closing episode of our text following David's anointing, where it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. This is verse 14. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. I'm going to camp out there for just a minute. That verse bothers you. An evil spirit of the Lord tormented him. I just want to mention two things if it bothers you. Number one, Saul had already demonstrated that his heart... Is not open to God. He made that plainly clear in numerous ways. And so it seems from the text that God has decided to use Saul's opposition to him in whatever manner he can for his eventual downfall. Now, to me, that's what it seems is happening. And number two, some scholars argue that the word spirit used in this passage is not necessarily a spirit in the way that you think of an evil spirit but a spirit in the sense of it's an attitude or, or a disposition. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just what some of the smart people say. I'm telling you what they say. I think regardless what we know for certain is that God uses Saul's inclinations for evil according to God's plans. And so what that means is that we need to be not only trying to seek God and, and trying to be the spirit, but we need to be 
We really need to be honest with ourselves and open with ourselves of our, our own personal inclinations. A few years ago, we asked Blair McDonald, who's, who's not here today, uh, he's home taking care of Lou, but we asked him to kind of st back, stand back there and hand out bulletins and greet people and, and kind of head up the ushers, you know. And uh, we picked him because he has this inclination to talk to everybody. I mean, that's who he is, right? It was a good idea. And he likes it. And we miss him when he's not here telling that. Tell him the preacher talked about it today. He says, miss, misses you, Larry, when you're not here. And he has an inclination to do that. But the difference, I think, between, you know, that's just, that's just a personal thing, you know. The difference between an inclination and the difference between, you know, a spiritual gift is that inclinations can change. You might say, well, Matt, I'm inclined to sleep in on Sunday morning, so I'm just going to do that. And I'm going to let the Lord use me however he wants to use me for the glory of the Lord. I'm going to sleep in. Nice try. Because the last thing any of us really want is God using our negative inclinations because we don't give him any other choice to use anything about us. The reason God looked upon David's heart and chose him was not because he was perfect. I mean, we know his life. We know what he did, right? With Bathsheba. I mean, we know that he was not a perfect man, but he was a man after God's own heart. In other words, he was a person that opened his own heart to God. That was the only requirement, really. We open ourselves to God. Look past our own inclinations. So that's your simple invitation this morning. David was open to God with everything that he was, all that he had, all of his imperfections. We, we invite you to be open to him this morning as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the way that you choose us and use us, often for things that maybe we have no idea of the big picture of. And we ask that you'd help us not to be so myopic that we think that using us means that, that we're going to live happily ever after exactly like we want. And remind us that, that you do work all things together for good, but according to your purpose, as you say in your word. Help us to be open to that, open to you, to your leadership, to your guidance, God. Help us to open our hearts to you, to be shaped and molded by the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.